18 through 16, verse 4. We're going to pray. Let's pray. Let's pray one more time before we begin. Lord, we need your peace. God, I want you to show everyone here who is worried, who has doubts, who, who haven't experienced the vastness of your love, the vastness of your incredible strength and comfort that they will experience it today. God, as we study your word, breathe in us so that we can recognize the blessings that you are bestowing us. God, as you move forward at our campus and at Lapeer and with the Eldridge family, Lord, I, I just pray. I pray that your peace is on us, that unity would come and just flow, would overflow. Lord, we, we know you're doing a mighty work and that you're going to do a great new thing at both of our respective campuses. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 15, verses 18, going into chapter 16, verse 4. Let's read it together. If the world hates you, know that it had hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated me and my father both. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, whom proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Here's the big idea that we're all going to walk away with today. That big idea is this, that knowing our opposition and our support helps disciples stay on the way. Knowing exactly who our opposition is and who our support is will allow us to act rather than react. You see, from what Jesus is saying here, right, we have to clearly understand that when we live in faith, when we live in faith, there will be opposition. There is no doubt about that. There's so much opposition, right, that Jesus says it's hateful. And he says that hate is so great that it will come to kill us. That's how great the opposition is, right? So he tells his disciples, he tells us that if we follow him in his way, we must be intentional with our actions because if we react to the opposition, then we ourselves will instinctually be sinful and it's going to cause us to lose our own way. That's what Jesus is saying, right? That's why it's so important to know that we have opposition and support. Hey, this past week, I, I want to share a story with you, um, not, not to bring shame upon me, but to make sure that you walk out of here being a better person than I am, all right? Um, 
I faced some heavy opposition this week. I mean, heavy, the heaviest in my life, like great, great opposition, right? And so this week, one of these nights, I was trying to give Kate a bath, right? <laughs> the key word is trying, trying, man. I, I was trying. I was trying to be fun and engaging. I was trying to be patient and understanding. I was trying to be disciplined and firm. I was trying to be composed and godly. Most of all, I was trying to be loving because that's what fathers are, loving, right? But none of it is working. None of it is working. I couldn't even get her into the bath, right? The water's running. I'm sweating. I'm huffing. I'm puffing because I'm out of shape, right? My ticks and tools for being a parent have all failed. Oprah, Spock, Andersons, the Bundys, the Kardashians, right? The Simpsons, the healers, they all failed me, right? These paradigms of American family, right? They failed. They failed. So I did what I know, right? I said, there's one model I'm not looking at. I'm going to go Tony Soprano on her, <laughs> right? Because Tony Soprano is a good father. He just wanted to put food on the table for his family, right? And so, you know, I went full Jersey on Kate, and that, that shocked her, right? That's, that shocked her, and she, she went into the bath, okay? That's a win, right? I thought it was a win. That's great. Congratulations. I'm a winner. Um, and then Kate decides she's going to go Scarface on me. Right? One gangster to another, right? And so she, she's in the bath. Now she's looking me straight in the eyes. She's looking at me in the eyes, and she takes her bath toy and takes the bath water from the bath and starts pouring it into the bathroom floor, right? She's never seen Scarface, but she might as well have said, Dad, say hello to my little toy. Have you met my little friend, right? I mean, she, that's, that's what she was doing, right? And I'm going to tell you, right, I was trying that night. I, I was so, so desperately trying. Um, and, but that, that just, it, it took me over the edge. I, I just reacted, right? I went to a full Ezekiel 25, 17 moment, right? I will execute great vengeance, <laughs> right? I can do this, right? And that, that was the exact moment when Michelle heard that. She came in to rescue me, right? <laughs> she came to rescue me. Because in the battle of superpowers, I lost to a three-year-old, right? The, I was reacting to a three-year-old when I should have been acting like a parent to a three-year-old, right? That, late, later that night, later that night, you know, my, my lovely wife, you know, she points out to me, you know, Kate's just blessed. She's just blessed with an exponentially compounded portion of my own independent spirit, which is just a nice way of her saying, She's your daughter. What did you expect? Right? What did you expect? Don't your husbands love your wives? Because they say things that no one else can. Right? And so Michelle sent by God's grace to give me perspective, gave me that perspective. Right? Because you know what? When I think about my own faith, sometimes our own greatest opposition is our own creation. Right? Literally our own creation. And so I repented. I said, God, I am sorry. I am sorry for opposing you. For, for being someone who opposes your will. And then I had to go to Kate and say, I'm sorry. Daddy did not act like a good daddy. Right? Daddy, sorry. Can you forgive him? Right? Because he was not living the way Jesus taught him to live. You see, what, what happens when we react to opposition is that our own visceral sinful mindsets take over. And we sin epically. Epically. 
right? And we've seen, we've seen this. We've seen this from pastors. We've seen this from church leaders. We've seen this from politicians, from business people, from family members, from friends, right? They all proclaim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and then they respond to opposition sinfully. And they set their lives on fire, and all that's remaining are addictions, affairs, and it's anger, Right, And what we have to understand and what we have to know that Jesus is telling us is that we're going to face opposition in this life. There is no doubt about it. So we have to intentionally act. right? Because if we allowed our situations and circumstances to force us into reacting to them, we will sin, undoubtedly. Before we can figure out and understand what Jesus is telling us to do to intentionally act in this world in light of certain opposition, I have to lay out some fundamental truths about why Jesus says this. We're going to go to verse 16 and 17 right before what we read. Follow along with me. It says this. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You see, here's the thing. The disciples of Jesus were chosen by God and then commanded, right? They were commanded to bear fruit, right? The fruit that Jesus' disciples are supposed to bear will bring glory to God. The command to bear fruit is so great that when we do bear fruit, our prayers begin to change and ask God to bring glory through those fruits. And the reason that God brings glory to himself through our prayers is so that we can continue to follow him and follow his command to love one another. Because if he didn't, the opposition would be too great for us. Right? The biggest problem that we have is all those things are good, all those truths are good, except the fact that we actually live in a world that is opposed to us. Right? It stands in direct opposition to God. And so bearing fruit and loving others is hard impossibly hard. Uh, Let's pick this up in verse 18. We're going to do a deep dive into this. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you've ever felt like the world is against you, it's out to get you, it's not just a feeling. It's really happening. Right? It's really happening. The opposition that we face in our lives has nothing to do with us, though. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with who God chose to be his child. Right? They hate us because we were chosen by God and we became the target of hatred towards God. Right? And the world is going to try to make you react to its hatred because when we react, we lose our way. Right? We lose our calling. We lose the fruit that we're supposed to bear, that we're commanded to bear, right, as a child of God. And some of us, some of us, we've experienced that type of hate, right? We've experienced that type of hate because of what we believe and who we believe in. And maybe, maybe it manifested itself in some type of discrimination. You were passed up for a job or an opportunity you were qualified to do because of who you believe in. Or maybe you were publicly ostracized for who you believe in, for who you're standing up for, and you lost relationships or you lost clients. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's a good thing. You've been blessed, right? And I pray that my daughters can grow up that way. 
I pray that they will be blessed that way. But I'm going to tell all of us, right? The reality is we should not be shocked when there is opposition and that when we're discriminated against because that is the reality that we're living in just because we placed our trust in Jesus. And I have a feeling, right? And this, this is, this is going to offend some of you. I have a feeling that if you're an adult for any length of time and have placed your faith in Jesus but have never experienced hatred in the form of this world because of what you believe in, it's probably because the world doesn't know what you believe in or who you place your trust in. Your life doesn't reflect it, right? Your life doesn't reflect it, and the world has no idea who you follow, right? You're loved by the world because the world still thinks you're of the world, now, this is a safe space. I'm going to say, uh, I've faced hatred in the form of discrimination and racism, um, and I've even been physically assaulted simply because of the complexion of my skin, right? Now, if that's the case, if that hatred is so real just because of the complexion of my skin, just imagine how much more the world will hate you because of who you follow. That's reality, right? The only way they leave you alone is if they don't know who you're following, if they don't know who you belong to. Verse 20, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The haters persecute Jesus, and they will persecute you, right? So we don't react to persecution. We don't act by, react by withdrawing our love for the world, for people of the world. Rather, we act more intentionally despite it, right? That's what we're called to do. And right here, Jesus is using the same words he used in chapter 13 when he's washing the disciples' feet. And he says this, right? And this is what he's saying. Engage the world. Engage the world by serving those who persecute you. In fact, serve them. Serve them by washing the dirtiest parts of them. And so Jesus is foreshadowing what's going to happen when Judas comes with the soldiers from the chief priests and the scribes to falsely accuse Jesus. Because at that point, when they come, Jesus' posture does not change. It does not withdraw. In fact, he leans more intentionally to serve the world and to serve people who hate him. He serves us by saying, I am willing to be falsely accused and take upon myself the sins that I have nothing to do with. And the sins of the people who hate me, I'm going to bear all of them on the cross. And that's how he intentionally loves the world that hates him. And we became his children as a result. Right? This was an intentional act of love. This wasn't an accident. This is what he did in service to us. He came from God to walk this earth in the form of Jesus Christ. Right? He did what no one else could. More importantly, he did what nobody else wanted to do which is to pay for the sin of people at enmity with him. And so I'm going to ask us, how are we engaging the world like our master, like our Christ? Or are we not engaging the world because we're afraid of the world's hate? That's the question. And I want to challenge all of us, right? I want to challenge all of us today, tomorrow, this week. I want you to go and engage the world by serving someone who's of the world who's not a disciple of Christ, right? Just try it. Try serving one person who is an enemy with God. Just one person this week and do it next week and do it for this, the rest of this month and see what happens. And you can do this through one of our church ministries or you can find someone on your own in your neighborhood because there are plenty of people who hate God. But I, I want to encourage you to do it because yes, they will persecute you, but we're called to be like our master 
as his servants to serve the world and engage the world. So in the midst of being persecuted and hated, Jesus says something very interesting here at the end of verse 20. Right? And this is the reason I'm challenging all of us today. And he says this, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Right? The day that he is talking about are not the ones who hate you. Right? And so, yes, there are going to be people who hate us. The persecution is real because we are chosen by God and we are no longer of the world. And we have to accept that reality. We have to accept that fact. But then there are people, Jesus is saying, who sympathize with God, who empathize with you. Right? These are the people who are influenced by the actions that the disciples of Jesus take. Right? When we engage the world, we're going to encounter people through our service who may in turn encounter God because of us. Lauren Frith, she's our Life Group's director. She writes this about engaging the world like Jesus did um, in our coaching circle. She says this, We're called to love everyone, but God doesn't call us to invest our time in everyone equally. Jesus didn't. He was selective about who he spent his personal time with, whose homes he entered and to whom he explained his teachings. He invested in people of peace. That doesn't mean that those people become Christians right away. It simply means that they do not hate you based on the fact that you follow Jesus and talk about him. In fact, they are curious about how you live and how you think, right? There are these people, people of peace in our lives who don't straight away oppose us because of who we follow, right? Go serve them. Go find them. Go serve them. See what happens because they are listening to you. You are influencing them now, right? That's a gift from God. That's a gift from God. And that's saying, and it says a lot, right? The conclusion we draw is that when we engage those people, when we engage the world, because they are still of the world, it means that the world can still be transformed. In fact, when we are willing to faithfully act and obey God's command to do like he does by engaging the world to serve them, God will transform them. God will transform this culture. God will transform this world, right? And that's really the reason we do things like Trunk or Treat, Right? We, we went out with our community partner, CHN, to engage people away from the church building because there are plenty of people who will never come to a church building to do anything like that. Right? And it gives people, those people who would never have an opportunity to meet a disciple of Jesus, to meet a disciple of Jesus. It gave us an opportunity to love people who hate God or who may be far away from God because that was an opportunity. It's a gift that God gave to us to engage the world and serve the world, right? It's the reason we encourage you, go coach your kids' sports teams. It's not because your kids are going to become pro athletes. I've seen most of you, right? <laughs> the apple doesn't far fall from the tree, right? I mean, it's the reason we tell you, go engage in community block parties and go meet your neighbors. And It's not because you have a mean margarita, Right? Your personality is not that interesting. We know it. But it gives you an opportunity to meet people and serve them. Serve the people who are far from you, far from God, who may even hate him. Right? And when we do this, the gospel will bear fruit through it. You see, the world may hate us, but if we're willing to faithfully seek out these people of peace as we serve the world, we're going to witness the glory of God. Hands down. Verse 21. But all these things they will do unto you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. 
If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Uh, let, Let me explain what this is saying, right? Because Jesus is saying that when he came, when he came to this earth, the most central and controlling sin of the lives and the people of this world was confirmed by the way they reacted to him. Right? And they reacted. They reacted by saying, we hate God. We do not want to receive God's grace. They rejected God's grace. Right? And that's what was sin. Right? It confirmed their sin that they wanted to be enemies with God, that they hated God. Right? He's not saying that there would be no sin if he didn't come. In fact, what they're saying is they actually chose to hate God even though they saw Jesus. Right? And so if they see Jesus and they choose to hate God and reject God's grace, those people are going to hate him. They're going to hate God as a result. Right? Flip, flip, me, flip with me to John chapter 3 right? because this becomes really clear with the exchange Jesus has with Nicodemus. John chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You see, Jesus was with God, and God was with Jesus. The Father was with him, right? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You see, Jesus is making the distinction here of being part of the world and being chosen by God. We're going to skip to verse 16. For God so loved the world, this is God's service, that he gave his one and only son. This is how God serves us. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through through him the world may be saved. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is people rejecting God. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Some of us, some of us who call ourselves the disciples of Jesus, we need to decide. We need to decide that we're going to serve the world that hates God by sharing the good news with people who hate him. Right? We we cannot, we cannot let this opportunity slip by. We cannot say we're going to disengage, and we cannot say that their hatred towards God, even though it's going to be manifested against us, is something that we're going to consider acceptable because that is a sinful reaction that we can have. It's a sinful reaction that the world wants us to have. Others, others of us, we have to start saying, are we willing to submit ourselves to God, to receive the grace that God gives us through Jesus Christ? Do you want to intentionally place your trust in the Spirit of God, I mean, born of the Spirit of God, to live in His Spirit? 
Because if you don't, you condemn yourself. You condemn yourself. Wherever you stand, I, I want you to know one thing. The world's going to hate you for whichever decision you make. And it's going to continue to oppose you. Let's go back to chapter 15, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. If you receive Jesus as your Savior and you're reconciled with God as a result, the helper or the Holy Spirit will come to you. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He's going to bear witness about Jesus, right? We receive the Holy Spirit so that we can boldly face a world that hates us. The helper promotes Jesus, and he will help us too, right? That truth, that truth begs the question, how will we now act as a disciple of Jesus living in a world that opposes us? You see, culture might despise us because of God, but that doesn't mean we don't have any support. In fact, we have the support, the full support of God through God's spirit. As God's spirit lives in us and manifests himself in us, the spirit of God supports us as we love and serve the people who hate us, right? It's when we intentionally serve people that our acts of faith testify to the glory of God. That's how God is going to continue to transform our world through us. Right? You, you see, Jesus already transformed culture when he came down the first time. It, it's the reason that we call ourselves followers of Jesus, because our lives, our worlds have shifted because of our faith, because we decided we're going to believe in him. We are found pure, clean, and holy, and there is no other religion, there is no other God, there is no philosophy, ideology, or worldview that does that. Only our God meets those who hate him and then serves them and chooses them to be his children. That's only here. That's only Jesus Christ. That's only our Father in heaven. And if you're unsure whether you want to engage the world with the love of God, then I want to really show you what happens, right, when we, when, when we don't. Chapter 16, verse 1. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Do, do you really want to know what causes us to fall away from our faith? It's when we stop practicing our faith. Simple as that. It, it, it's not opposition. It's not hatred. It's not circumstance. It's the moment we decide we are no longer going to practice our faith. I mean, it's like everything else in our lives. The moment we stop engaging, the moment we stop practicing, whether it's our skills or our relationships, our talents, they all fall away. They all fall away, right? I, I know you have friends and family members that you have not spoken to or engaged with in a long time. They fell away because you stopped engaging with them. Your basketball skills, those dunking skills that you once had, your athletic glory that you once had, they fell away because you became a parent or you became uh, an employee and you stopped engaging and practicing them. So that, that last time when you were looking at your basketball shorts, you threw out your back. And it, the reason was because you stopped practicing, right? You're never going to get that back, right? And, and that's exactly the same reason our faith falls away because we stop practicing. And so we must, we must, we must continually engage the world with our faith because knowing that there is opposition before us is not a hindrance to our faith. It just continues to show us that there is real tangible needs out there and God wants us and calls us to engage the world with 
what we do and what we believe, right? And I'm going to give you an easy framework because I know that's what all of you have been waiting for, right? Uh, the framework is this. Pursue your respective vocations with an intention to love others the way Jesus did. And if your vocation is a full-time parent, what that means is that you intentionally serve your kids with the fruit of God's spirit in you. If you're a manager or an owner of a company, then you intentionally serve your employees with the fruit of God's spirit in you. If you're a salesperson, um, then you serve intentionally your clients with the fruit of God's spirit in you. If you're a teacher, then you act to serve your students with the fruit of God's spirit in you. If you're a student or a child or you, you do that, then you serve intentionally your teachers and your parents with the fruit of God's spirit in you. I, I want to make this even more simple, right? And it comes from the Apostle Paul, what he says to the Corinthian church in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do for the glory of God, period, right? We live in a toxic place. It's destructive. It's suffocatingly hateful. But Jesus did not call us to be his disciple so that we can instinctually hate like the world hates. It, he did not call us so that we would withdraw either. He calls us to love intentionally, to bring him glory. And we are going to be witnesses of God's love. We're going to be witnesses to this broken and hateful world. God will get his glory. He's going to transform this world and the culture in it. So keep on engaging the world. Keep on loving those who hate you. We have the helper. We have support. He is with us. He will never leave us. So we are bold. Let's witness God transform our culture through our intentionality. Pray with me. Father in heaven, you gave Elisha a double portion of your spirit so that he could continue to faithfully serve, to faithfully witness his God, so that he could do it boldly in a time and a period where your name was persecuted, where you were abandoned by society. God, now as we live in this world, I want you to give us the same double portion of your spirit because we need that same boldness. We need that same confidence of faith. We want to witness the amazing works that you are going to manifest, that you are manifesting in this world because your spirit is moving here amongst us. God, help us to continue to engage the world even if it hates us because you gave us an overflow of your love that will not be stopped, that will not be quenched by any amount of hate. Lord, I ask that you keep us from falling away from you. And God, if there, there are some who are discouraged and they want to stop practicing what they believe and who they believe in, God, give them rest. Give them rest from their troubles. If there are those who are battered by the woes of our culture, if there are here people who are brokenhearted because of the rejection that they face, heal those wounds and scars, God. God, we want to rest in your spirit. Give us gladness. Give us a reason to rejoice in you. Give us courage to continue to engage our culture, to embolden us as witnesses. Lord, we want your wisdom. We want your strength. This hopeless place needs your gospel. We obediently accept your charge to do as our master does and serve the world. Help us become winsome 
We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Let's all stand and stand.